What's up? Thanks so much for checking out this message today. Our church is in a series titled Mosaic, where we are uncovering the unique pieces of Jesus' character. We hope that this message today helps you see that there's more to Jesus than meets the eye. Before you go, make sure to hit that subscribe button so that you can get the most up-to-date Elevate City content. And if this message has blessed you, feel free to give in the link below so that this message can get in front of more people. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to church, everybody. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to say I love this place. I love how this church is changing my life and changing my family's life and so many others' lives. And I pray and I hope that today that Jesus would do something special in your heart today and that you would come to love this place as well. If you have a Bible or a phone that can transform into a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're in a series of messages right now called Mosaic. Let me hear you say Mosaic. And in this series, we want to see that there is more to Jesus than meets the eye. Like oftentimes our understanding of who Jesus is, if we're not careful, can become limited and very small. Like, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about just pictures of Jesus, but um, a lot of times how we see Jesus is based on how we grew up. Like, if you grew up and you didn't go to church, then maybe how you see Jesus is you just see images of Jesus that you've just seen in this world and in our culture, or maybe you've seen images of him on Google. If you're here and you grew up in church, uh, maybe how you see Jesus is based on how you learned about him in Sunday school. Can I get an amen? Any Baptist people in the room that grew up in Sunday school and you're like... Uh, what's the arts and crafts Jesus this week? For you, how you see Jesus is based on um, kind of like how you would gather each week and they'd say, all right, draw Jesus out on a piece of paper right now. It's kind of like a build your own Jesus, kind of like Chipotle. You were like, okay, well this week he's got long hair. This week I'm giving him a white robe. This week he's purple, y'all. All right, this week I'm gonna give him some Chacos because I love Chacos. I think Jesus wore Chacos. Uh, maybe you have these different ideas of who Jesus is when, when you think about him, when you try to picture him in your mind. Maybe you've seen him portrayed in movies, and so when you think about Jesus, you think of Jesus from the Passion of the Christ, or from shows like The Chosen, or maybe you see him on the cover of Life magazine. Maybe you see him on church steeples and in stained glass, or maybe you know about Jesus from that latest influencer on TikTok, you know? Our hope through this series, though, is that we would help to see Jesus, see that Jesus is far more beautiful and far more dynamic than we would ever even be able to imagine. And so I'd like to start this morning by reading just one verse. And this one verse is just one brief image, one snapshot of the beautiful mosaic that is Jesus. And this is going to be our launching pad for today. John chapter 1, verse 29. John 1, 29. says, The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Say that word behold with me. Behold. Word, that word means to see, to look. Look right here. Open your eyes. Would you just see? See, the context for what's happening right here is we have this wild wilderness man named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was kind of crazy. He ate bugs. He drank honey. And he had hair like uh, Jack Sparrow. You know what I'm talking about? 
and he lived in the wild, kind of like Bear Grylls, and he was just a wild man, and um, he was a messenger. He was sent to prepare the way for a Savior to come and save the world from their sin. And in this scene, John is baptizing people in the Jordan River, and as he's baptizing people, he sees Jesus start to approach the crowd, and John the Baptist immediately stops, and he says, Behold, look! The one that I've been telling y'all about, you ain't ready. The one that I've been preaching about, the one that I've been preparing the way for, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God. He says, this is the Jesus that I saw when I baptized him just the other day. I saw the Spirit of God ascend on him like a dove. And I saw and I heard the voice of God from heaven say, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the Jesus that I was telling you about. This is the Lamb of God. And John was saying to them, and I believe he's saying to you and me today, do you want to find freedom from the sin that is ruining your life? Do you want to find freedom from the sin that is stealing your joy and hijacking your future? Do you want the solution to the problem of sin? Behold, this is the Lamb of God. John was saying to them, and uh, up to this, he's speaking to them, behold, and up to this point, John, he had a large group of guys who were his disciples. He had a crew. He had a squad. But immediately, his very disciples that had been following John, as they see Jesus, and Jesus says those words, his disciples choose to unfollow John, and they start to follow Jesus. Why? Because they wanted to follow the one that could take away their sin. They wanted to follow the one that, could, that was the lamb. See, a lot of people in this world want to follow leaders. Like we all want to follow someone that has something to offer us. Anyone else want to follow a great leader? Like I want to follow someone that can make me better. We want to follow someone that can, that can take us from where we are to where we want to be. Someone that can make us wealthy and popular and successful in our career and help to mentor us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. But these disciples didn't want to just follow the leader. These disciples wanted to follow the lamb. They wanted to follow the lamb of God. See, some theologians would say that the entire message of the Bible can be summed up in this one title. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to write just at the top of your page, Jesus, the lamb of God. See, this morning, I want to expand your view of what Jesus being the lamb means for you. This phrase, the Lamb of God, actually only appears twice in the Gospels, and both of these are pronouncements by John the Baptist, but the theme of the Lamb of God goes all the way through the, to the beginning of Genesis and is threaded all the way through the Bible till the end of Revelation. See, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. And they destroyed the perfect relationship that they had with God and creation. They broke his command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did this because Satan deceived them. He convinced them that God was holding out on them. And that if they would disobey God, that they could be like God and things would be better. And that was a lie. See, they traded the truth about God being good and about God being for them for a lie. And ever since then, sin has been a problem. Sin enters the world and along with it, everything that is wrong, sickness, sadness, disease, fear, hurt, pain, heartache, heartbreak, jealousy, pride, racism, hate, cancer, anxiety, depression, and politics. 
So let's talk about sin. See, some people don't like reading the Bible because they think it talks about sin too much. Some people are like, I don't want to read that book like it doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel bad. Why is the Bible always talking about sin? Why is it calling me a sinner? But we've got to understand is that, yes, sin is offensive. Sin is very offensive, and it should be. But what we've got to understand is that God hates sin the most. And the one who is most offended by sin is actually God. He is fiercely opposed to sin, always and forevermore. And so why did Adam and Eve ultimately have to leave the garden? Because God, in all of his goodness, cannot tolerate sin in his presence. See, you and I, we cannot draw near to God apart from our sin being dealt with. Isaiah 59 talks about this. Isaiah 59, 2, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. See, the problem of sin is that it separates us from God and it makes us spiritually dead. That's why the Bible spends so much time talking about sin. Because it's the fundamental problem. And if it's left ignored, then we, in and of ourselves, we try to find a solution on our own. And every time we do that, it ends up just getting worse. Because we cannot take care of sin on our own. The only way that you and I can experience life after death and communion with God is through the Lamb of God. It's not through Gandhi or Buddha or Muhammad, or Allah. It's not through Joseph Smith, or Oprah, or Bob Marley, or Beyonce. It's not through enlightenment, nirvana, Confucius, the latest guru, or meditation method. It's not through any sort of religious ritual. It's not even through the Mosaic laws. It's only through the blood of Jesus that you and I are able to be made right with the God of the universe. We need him. See, sin is anything we think, say, or do that breaks God's commands and in turn breaks God's heart. And so let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought, said, or done something that goes against God's commands? Have you ever walked away from that conversation and just thought, why did I say that? What made me do that? Why did I go off on that waiter at the restaurant last night? Why did I just yell at the person that I love? Why was I so quick to get frustrated with my kid? Why was my first reaction to cuss at the TV when the Falcons lost again? Why? Why did I just flick that guy off on 285? Why do I hate the person that I see on TV? And every time I see them, my blood starts to boil Why do I always get caught up in gossip? Sin. Sin is the why. Sin is the problem. Do you have secrets that that you just cannot and will not bring to the light? That is sin. Let me ask you, what's the internal monologue that you have going on? Like the thoughts and the soundtracks and the clips that you have playing in your head over and over again. Is it pure? Is it good? Is it Right? Is it true or is it selfish, arrogant, lustful, prideful, and just bad? Have you ever wondered why you just embellish the truth just a little bit? Like when you tell that story, you just can't tell it how the story actually happened. We got to just make things sound better all the time. Sin. We live in a world that would love for you to believe that sin isn't real. 
that you should do what you want, how you want to do it, be who you are, live your truth, love whoever, however you want, and that you should just be good and do good and be kind and everything will be okay. But I need you to know that that's a lie. You living as though sin isn't real does not change the reality that it is. Sin has consequences, and the consequences are very real. Like, you saying that sin isn't real is like you saying, all right, cool. Well, I'm going to go climb to the top of that 400 overpass over there. I'm going to jump off. I'll see y'all later. No, like you will be dead, flattened like a pancake by a semi. You will be dead. 1 John 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let's be real. Just look around. The effects and the reality of sin are all around us and it's really devastating. Like when my son Hudson, he disobeys, um, we'll say, Hudson, why did you disobey? Like that was disobedience. And right now his phrase to how he responds always is, because I did. I'm like, Hudson, why did you just hit your sister? Because I did. Hudson, why did you just touch that? Now your hand is disgusting. Because I did. Hudson, why didn't you get in the car? Because I did. Over and over again, I'm going to start to respond, no, you did because of sin. Sin, boy. Like, it's just crazy. I did because I did. I want to elevate your ethic of sin today. I want to elevate our understanding of sin today. Do you realize that sin is not just the doing of bad things, but it's also the failure of doing good? Like there's these two concepts of sin that we have to understand. There are the sins of commission, which are the things that we do that break God's commands. Like you stole that makeup from Walgreens when you were in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. That's a bad thing that you did. It breaks the eighth commandment. Thou shall not steal. And then there are sins of omission. And most people fail to realize this, but choosing not to do good is also sin. James, he says this in James 4, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. And so when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will give an account for the things that we did and the things that we didn't do. And so total transparency, you choosing not to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, that wasn't a suggestion. When you do not Sabbath, it is sin. Choosing not to do Choosing to do nothing when God has called you to do something, that is sin. And so I need you to know today the severity of sin. And I need you to know today that we need our sin taken care of. We need our sin taken away. Because we are more sinful than we could ever realize. But I need you to know that we are more loved than we could ever dare to dream. See, Adam and Eve, they were banished from the presence of God because of their sin. But listen up, before God sent them away, he performed the first ever sacrifice. You see, something had to die in order for God to cover their shame. And so he kills an animal and God in his grace, he sends them out. But before he does, he covers their nakedness. He covers their shame and he sends them away. See, before sin, death wasn't even a thing. But because of sin, death is now a constant reality because sin demands a payment. And that payment is death. 
See, God has to deal with the injustice of sin. You're like, well, how could God do that? Well, because God is good and God is just. And if God didn't require a payment for sin, he would not be just and he would not be good. But thankfully, God is just and he is the justifier. Romans 3 talks about this. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Let me hear you say propitiation. propitiation. Means that he appeased the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God and he reconciled us to God. It says by his blood to be received by faith this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins y'all underline that word passed over if you're taking notes we're coming back to that it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus so we've got to understand that God he didn't introduce death into the equation humanity did Do we understand that? We did it. And we can't fix that. Only God can. That is why we need Jesus. That's why the hope of Jesus is so important. And so how is this problem of sin and death resolved? How do we see it resolved in scripture? The answer the Bible gives us is sacrifice. See, sacrifice is the death of one thing so that something else can have new life. And what makes the gospel such good news is that God solves the problem of death, not by demanding the death of everything that is stained by sin, but by offering himself instead. See, the result of Jesus' sacrifice means new life for me, like we just sung about, new life for you, like we just sung about, new life for anyone that would trust in Jesus. See, sin is not just a bad behavior that needs to change. Sin is a condition that needs to be made new needs to be transformed. See, we think a lot of times, oh, that's just the way that I am. I just act this way. Ever heard someone say that? Have you ever said that before? You're like, I'm sorry for my flaws. They're just my flaws. You're like, oh, you know, the reason I was such a jerk to you, I'm just an Enneagram 8, and so I'm sorry. It's just the way that I am. No, the reason you are a jerk is because of sin. It's because of sin. It's a condition. It's not just your behavior. It's your identity apart from Jesus. Apart from the work of Jesus, we're slaves to sin. There's nothing we can do on our own. And so for John the Baptist to cry out, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, for the Hebrew people of the day, they would have immediately started to picture these images of sacrifice. They would have immediately started to think about what the Lamb of God meant for them. See, in the whole Old Testament with the Hebrew people, God establishes the sacrificial system through the Levites, the priests, and he gave the people clear instructions for how offerings were to be made. There were animal sacrifices that were Generally divided into four categories. You had the burnt offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, and the peace offering. And these offerings were brought to the temple to be sacrificed to God by the priests and according to the instructions that God had given them. And only five types of animals could we offer it as sacrifice. You had oxen, you had sheep, you had goats, you had turtle doves, not two turtle doves, but one turtle dove, and a partridge in a pear tree, and you had pigeons. And you had the ox and you had the sheep. And the ox and the sheep, they were brought as uh, sacrifices. And the ox and the sheep and the goats were brought and they had to be free of any blemish. They had to be spotless. See, in the sacrificial system, spotless animals were offered as temporary payment for our sin so that we could please God. Leviticus 17.11 
For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is in the blood that makes atonement by the life. See, that word atonement is a central theme of the Bible, and it means that we are reconciled to God as our sins are atoned for or are paid for or are forgiven by way of sacrifice. And so when you show up at church and you wonder why we're singing songs about blood, ever thought about that just over and over again, blood, 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 nothing but the blood up. And you're like, gosh, I just invited my friend. And they probably think I brought them to some like weird, weird cult. And what's happening in here? You're like, do people in the Marriott know we're singing about blood in this room? That's very strange. And, and maybe you've been just weirded out by it before. But what you've got to understand that there is sacrifice in the blood. There is power in the blood that according to the law of Moses, everything was purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness. This is the idea of atonement that that this was life under the law. People knew that if sin was present, a sacrifice was necessary for redemption. See, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, though, were just a temporary covering for sin. Sin still ruled. Sin still had people's hearts. Sin, they were still in slavery to sin because they kept committing the same sins over and over again. Does that sound familiar? Over and over again. That was the sacrificial system. And then there was the Passover lamb. There are 10 plagues that God brings against Egypt in Exodus, and he brings these plagues to free his people, and the story of the Passover takes place during the 10th plague, and God instructed during the Passover every household of the Israelite people to select a one-year-old male lamb without defect, a spotless lamb, and the head of the household was then uh, called to slaughter the lamb at twilight and making sure that none of the lamb's bones were broken in the process, and then they were to take the blood of the lamb and they were to cover over the doorpost of their door, over the frame of the door, cover the top and the sides of the frame. They were to cover with the blood of that lamb. And then the lamb that night was to be roasted and would be eaten with the meal. And God said, when he saw the lamb's blood on the doorframe of the house, he would pass over the home and not permit the destroyer or the angel of death to enter. We see in Exodus 12, 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God's wrath was coming, and any home without the blood of the lamb lost their firstborn son that night, including Pharaoh. He lets the people of God go. And so for years and years, the Hebrew people would celebrate Passover to remember the blood that freed them, the blood that saved them, that God spared them from the wrath and freed them from slavery. Listen, this is a picture of a mosaic that in the Passover, God punishes the sins of Egypt and he protects his people. But in Jesus, God punishes his only son to make a way for the entire world to be saved. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. See, in the Passover, the blood of the Lamb allows the wrath of God to pass over his people. But it's through the blood of Jesus that God doesn't merely pass over our sin. He makes our sin white as snow. He makes our sin white and washed like wool. That's what Jesus does. 
The way your scarlet sins become white like wool is that the spotless lamb bleeds like crimson. And could it be, church, that the reason that we give into sin so consistently is we don't think about this. Like we don't think about what Jesus really did for us. We don't think about the cross daily in our every day. Like this picture right here, Jesus on the cross. Like how often do you think about that? Like how often does this image, when you think about Jesus, does this image come to your mind? Like how often do you think about the reality that Jesus really died? And he really died for you and for me because of our sin. Because we could not pay the debt that we owed because of us. Like do you think about this just once a year like on Good Friday? Around April, Easter time, it's like okay now I see Jesus on the cross. And and that's the only time you really see him there. Listen, you cannot see the mosaic that is Jesus without seeing the cross. The cross is right in the middle. The cross is at the very center. See, you will never see the significance of the cross until you see the severity of your sin, that it was my sin that put him there. It was your sin that put him there. And that he really physically, literally, bodily died. So whenever you sin, do you ask yourself, like, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Was that brief rush of endorphins worth Jesus dying for? Was that fleeting pleasure worth him hanging on a cross? Listen, if we're going to be people that behold the Lamb of God, we've got to start to see the cross in our everyday. That when we wake up, we thank God for the cross in our eating and in our drinking and our working and our playing and our parenting and in our dating and everything we do, we remember the cross and we let the cross be the filter for our lives. That when we worship, we don't just sing about the cross and it's just meaningless words that we're regurgitating, but that when we sing about the cross, we picture Jesus on the cross and we can't help but be broken. We can't help but weep. We can't help but just cry and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for standing in my place. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. See, before Jesus is betrayed and crucified, he gathers together his disciples for one final meal. And for them, it was a way to celebrate the Passover. But what they didn't understand is that in that moment that Jesus was actually the lamb that they were about to see sacrificed. See, at the Lord's Supper, there were all of the elements of the Passover meal except one. They've got wine. They've got bread. But there's no lamb. Because Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the lamb. Like what a mosaic. When you look at Leonardo da Vinci's mural, like you don't really think about that often. That Like Jesus is the lamb for that meal right there. Jesus is the Passover lamb. That's why Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. Have you ever thought about that? That is where the lambs were prepared to be sacrificed. And the exact time that Jesus died on the cross on Friday was actually the exact time where the sacrifices were to be made in the temple. This mosaic little piece after piece after piece that comes together that paints the picture of Jesus as the Lamb of God. It's in Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, that he was slain once and for all for the payment for all of our sin. So that we can approach God and we can be forgiven forever. It was on the cross that Jesus cried out and he said, it is finished to tell us die. 
What was finished? The sacrificial system. It was finished. It was done. No more need for giving animals to God. Jesus died one time death for all. For anyone that would choose to believe in him. See, Jesus chose to die in order for you and I to live. And so the perfect lamb, without blemish, without sin, Jesus did not just cover our sin. Jesus took away our sin. Jesus defeated our sin. He forgave our sin and he canceled the debt of our sin. 1 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a joy. This is known as the great exchange that our sins for his righteousness. There's deliverance because we have a deliverer. There is salvation because we have a savior. There is redemption because we have a redeemer. We experience the love of God by way of the lamb of God. Let me tell you about Abraham. If you grew up in church, you may remember some of the story of Abraham. You probably know him as Father Abraham, and he had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. But I promise you that this story paints more of a picture of Jesus than you've ever actually realized. See, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they had been trying to conceive a child for years. And when I say years, like I'm not exaggerating, y'all. Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90 years old. And they were still unable to get pregnant. And God speaks to Abraham and he says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And through your son, through your family, I will bless the world. And they will have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And he's like, okay, bet. And so finally, after years and years of prayer, God gives them a son named Isaac. And can you just imagine the joy and the celebration that would have been on their hearts, the love that they must have had for this one miracle boy that they waited decades, but then God asked them to offer Abraham, or offer Isaac, his one and only son, back to him as a sacrifice. Genesis 22, verse 1 through 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, notice this, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. And Abraham obeys. He had every reason in the world to argue with God, to plead with God, to beg God for another option. God, like, is there any other way? But he didn't. He simply obeyed. So Abraham and Isaac, they walk about 50 miles to this mountain. Have you ever thought about that? It was a long walk. They had every opportunity to figure out, to, to, to stop. And Abraham in his mind is probably thinking, is there any other way to turn around? Like, like I would have been, is there any other way? Most scholars believe that Isaac was not actually a young boy like we typically think about. We picture little Isaac, but he was actually a young man. Anywhere from age 18 to 33 years old when this journey takes place. So picture that. Isaac walking with his father. And don't miss this. Isaac carries wood on his back. The very wood that would be used to kill him. He carries up the mountain. Does that sound familiar? And then they, after they make their way to the top of the mountain, they build an altar. And Isaac even asks him, um, Dad, question. 
We have wood, we have a fire, we have an altar, but where is the offering? And Abraham replies, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And then Abraham binds his son and places him on the altar. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Don't miss this. In verse 8, Abraham says, don't worry, son, the Lord will provide a lamb. And then the very next voice that Abraham hears is the voice of the lamb. What we see here in verse 11, many scholars would say is a Christophany. It's an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ Jesus. Notice how it says, you have not withheld your son from me. This is God talking. All caps, Lord, Yahweh. We know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Abraham was talking to the Lamb of God. And in the same breath, Abraham lifts up his eyes and he looks and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Did you catch that? Like God provided another way. This is where we see the Lord provided Jehovah, Jireh, a ram, which is just a lamb, just a little older, was caught in a thorn bush ready to be offered as a sacrifice to God so that his son could go free. If that's not a beautiful mosaic of the person of Jesus, I don't know what is. See, both Isaac and Jesus, their beloved sons, who had been long awaited and then come in miraculous circumstances, both of the sons, they carry their instruments of torture on their own back, up the mountain. In both cases, the father leads the son and the son follows obediently toward his own death. God provides the sacrifice, which Abraham says will be a lamb. And Jesus is the innocent son who willingly went up the mountain to be crucified. Jesus is the substitute. He paid the debt that I owed, that you owed. He stood in my place. He stood in your place so that we could go free. That's where we were supposed to be. We offended God. We broke his commands. We turned our back on him, but he did not give up on us. Jesus is the lamb that you need, and more than anything in this life, you need him. John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Picture in this moment, this crowd of people and John the Baptist is like, look, the lamb is a man. They're like, what? He's like, the lamb you've been waiting for has arrived. Would you just look at him? You've heard all the stories. That's him. That's who they've been talking about. In the gospels, we see different pictures of what Jesus is doing and how he's healing people and caring for people. And, and we see this picture of the lamb just woven throughout the thread of the gospels. And in Mark chapter two, Jesus, he heals a paralytic. And he heals them and, 
And Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And all the religious people there in that moment are outraged. They are so mad and so upset. Why? Because they knew that only God could forgive sins, but little did they know that they were actually talking to the Lamb of God and the Lamb of God can forgive sin. And so Jesus says, my son, your sins are forgiven. That's why John says, look, behold, the lamb in the Old Testament, that was just a shadow. Here's the substance, here he comes. Would you look at him? says that he takes away the sin of the world. It's present tense. You may be here today and you may be wondering, but what about the thing that I did yesterday? What about the shame and the guilt that I still feel? What about the fact that I cannot get over what I did? Jesus is right now taking away your sin right now for you and he will not stop. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. See, all the way back to the times of Genesis, the people of God, they would cry out, where is the lamb? We're waiting for the lamb. And John the Baptist, he's like, look, here's the lamb. Behold the lamb. But yet people still did not want to believe it. He was despised and he was rejected. A man of sorrows, led like a lamb to the slaughter. Like the prophet Isaiah writes, they crucified him. After Jesus died and after he rose from the grave, the question's no longer where is the lamb. The rest of the Bible, what we see about the lamb is that there is this heavenly choir that forever is saying, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. In Revelation 5, we see this picture of the anthem of heaven before the lamb. And it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, to receive honor and glory and blessing. Jesus deserves all the praise. It says, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So my hope for us today. My hope for us today is that we would see our need for Jesus as the lamb. That when we sing songs for the lamb who was slain, when we sing that lyric, it wouldn't just be some casual word that just comes off of our lips, but that it would really move our hearts. That our hearts would break for what breaks God's that we would see Jesus on the cross today and tomorrow, that we would remember the lamb who was slain, that we would remember that the lamb is worthy of my life. And tomorrow and the next day, we would choose to follow the lamb. Why? Because the lamb is worth following. The lamb is worthy. The lamb is the one that can take away my sin. And my prayer is that when we see our sin, that we would see Jesus on the cross, that we would remember what it cost him, but that we would walk in the freedom that he offers us, the freedom that is available, that he stood in my place and he stood in your place once and for all. Revelation 12, 11 gives this picture of the end and speaking of the church says the people of God and they conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. That's how we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our transformation story. Why do we talk about stories that God is writing here all the time to remind us what he has done for us? Your story is that Jesus is at the middle of your story. Jesus changed everything about you. Jesus offers you freedom and he offers you hope. 
See, the supreme victory over the devil is the cross. And you can be sure of your standing with God because of what Jesus does for you, for nothing. And heaven and on earth will be able to separate us from the love of God through Jesus. So you don't need to wake up feeling guilty. You don't need to go to bed feeling shame. Like tears in your eyes, the blood of Jesus washes away the filth of your life. I want to tell you about the Moravian church. The Moravians were the earliest Protestant church, and they rebelled against the authority of Rome and the Catholic church some 50 years even before Martin Luther led the Reformation. And they're officially known as the unity of the brethren. And they were marked by this extreme gentleness and humility and patience and that they said everything is about the gospel and the example that our Lord Jesus sent and made for us. And they had this extreme love for their enemies and they took sharing the gospel and living their life on mission very seriously. And today there's more than a million members of the Moravian church. But the thing that I find special and unique about this church is that their mission was simple and it was painted on the seal, painted on their logo for all to see. And this is what it was. It says, for our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. What a way to be reminded of the lamb, of what Jesus has done, that anytime you're thinking about, hey, what am I called to do? Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. Church, I believe that if we would keep our eyes on the lamb, that we would be so moved by what he's done for us, that we'd be able to lay aside everything else, and we would be able to say, you know what? I need my savior, and this world is in desperate need of a savior. The echo of our lives should be behold the lamb for there is more to Jesus than meets the eye. See, the love of God is displayed through the lamb of God. The love of God is made available through the lamb of God. The love of God is received by the lamb of God. You cannot work your way to God. You cannot perform your way to God. You cannot success your way to God. You cannot marry your way to God. You cannot buy your way to God. You need the lamb of God to get to God. Jesus is the lamb. And so two questions, do you know him? Do you know the lamb? And what are you doing to make him known? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful, Jesus, that you would love us even in our sin, even in our brokenness, in spite of all of that, God, that you would choose to send your one and only son to die for us so that we can know you, God. Jesus, that you stood in our place so that we can be made whole. God, your word says that if anyone, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then they will be saved. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed in this room, I wanna give an opportunity for anyone here that has not yet chosen to follow the lamb, who has not yet chosen to put their faith in Jesus. If you're here and that's you and you wanna make a decision today to follow the lamb, I want you to pray this prayer. God, I need you. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for my sin. I believe that you died for me as the lamb of God to cover my sin, to take away my sin, to make me new. Jesus, I'm trusting in you as Lord. I believe that you rose and I committing now in this moment to follow you all the days of my life. If that's you and you just
prayed that prayer for the first time, I wanna give you opportunity to respond outwardly to what Jesus is doing on the inside to make a bold statement so that we can celebrate with you and so that you can mark this moment. And so if that's you, I just wanna ask on the count of three, would you be so bold to raise your hand? One, two, three. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer for the first time, would you just raise your hand to mark this moment? Amen, amen. Jesus, we love you. We're grateful for you. All of this, God, is because of what you've done for us. May we live in the reality of the cross and see what you did for us every single day. You are worthy. You are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.